Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Man, what a uh, wonderful time of worship, just saying these truths, right? I was a sinner running to hell, but you took me, you plucked me up. Praise be to God. So remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Hebrews 12. Uh, And just let these words soak in your soul. Uh, Just let them speak to you. Let them, let this be the preaching, all right? And, uh, and I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord at the end, and we'll respond in faith. Is that me? No. All right. Thanks be to God. Okay. <clears throat> Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more? I lost my place. Where'd it go? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it 
that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's so good to see you, church. <clears throat> I have a, uh, this is a big passage, and I have a burden from the Lord about some things to share. And there's so much here that I wish I could speak to you about today, but time fails us. There's not enough time. I wish we could be here all day. I know you do. So may God give us grace to speak of what we need to hear. May he give us that grace to hear what we need to hear today. So we've been in a series these last few weeks looking at the blessings that we have in the gospel. If you'll remember, we had the blood of Jesus. It makes us pure in the eyes of God. It gives us forgiveness of sins. We have the priesthood of Jesus. He is our advocate with the Father. He assures us even when we sin and even when Satan accuses us. Through Jesus, we enter into the holy place, into the very presence of God. We also learn that we have complete access to this new and better way, not by our works, but by faith alone. So this work is complete, is it not? You cannot add to the work of Christ. There's nothing to add to it. But it does beg a question. If this work is complete, then is God's work completed in those of us who believe? That's the great question that we're asking today. If, his, if this work of the gospel is complete, then is God's work completed in those of us who believe? You might be surprised to find that the answer is no. He is not finished with us. The topic we are discussing today has been confused and distorted by many well-meaning Christians. Presuming that Christ is finished with them, many have lived their lives as if their only responsibility on earth was to share the gospel, to convert sinners, as if that's the only reason Christ has them here. Many have lived their lives unwisely, not knowing that their salvation is but the beginning of God's gracious work in them. Many have lived their lives as if holiness and sanctification have nothing to do with their ultimate salvation. And many have erroneously taught that it does not matter what you do after you confess Christ. It matters so much. Everything we do after we confess Christ matters so much. I hope I can show you this today. The Word of God, it directs us to something completely different to these lies. It shows us that God is completing His work in us who confess him. He is completing his work in us. So let us invite God to be our teacher in all these things. Heavenly Father, oh Father, thank you that we can come to you as a church free of shame, free of guilt by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We can come to you, enter your holy place by the priesthood of Christ. He, are, he is our advocate. And so, Lord, we come to you now with a request. Rend the heavens 
by the coming of your presence among us today. Come among your people. Come and do great works of salvation and sanctification in us today. Do a work of of freedom in each one of us today. Let waters flow in the deserts of our heart. Lord, our souls thirst for your spirit. Our souls thirst for sanctification, for holiness, for every good work that you do. So satisfy us. Satisfy your people according to your word. Do mighty works among us. Have your way here. Change us. Sanctify us. Conform us into the image of your son Jesus. Preserve faith among us. Let us be a holy people. Lord, we lift up all these requests to you so that your glory may abound. And we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that I want to show you today is that the work he's completing in us is this. It is the work of sanctification. Sanctification. Look at verse 14. It says in chapter 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. Well, it says holiness in this verse, but holiness and sanctification are very similar. In fact, the Greek word here, which is hagiasmos, it'll be on the test, that word is translated as both holiness and sanctification. The difference is that holiness is more a characteristic. It's being holy. It's being set apart, different, like God in all things. Whereas sanctification is the process whereby we become holy. The work of setting us apart to be like Him. Does that make sense? So this is the work he is completing in us. He is sanctifying us, making us holy. But why? Why is he doing this in us? There are several answers to that question, but specifically, the author of Hebrews answers in this way, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. This is essentially what Jesus himself says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for, does anybody know? For they shall see God. They shall see God, the pure of heart. Peter says in 1 Peter, 4, uh, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you Also, be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, he puts it this way, for this is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in 
holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gave his Holy Spirit to you. You see, the purpose of sanctification is to produce in us the character of holiness. We cannot hope to see God apart from holiness, apart from the work of sanctification in us. Sanctification is inseparable from salvation. So, this question arises, has God, though, already completed the work of sanctification at the moment of our conversion? This is what some people teach, that we are already entirely sanctified. Well, that doesn't even make any sense. It's clear in all the Scriptures everywhere, but also in this context because of what he says in verse 10 of chapter 12. He says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. It is the purpose of His discipline. Why discipline us to share in what we already have in fullness? Because we don't have it in its fullness. It is produced through sanctification. It is the work of God to complete holiness in us. Who does not share in this disciplinary work of the Father? Verse 8 tells us, it says, that all true sons of God participate in His discipline. Only illegitimate children, false believers, do not. So, sanctification has worked in all those who have truly believed. All of us. But when did it begin? Our sanctification was effectively begun when the work of Christ's sacrifice was applied to us by faith. It was started then. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. The blood of Christ makes us perfect and innocent in His eyes, but the work of sanctification is not completed. It is begun at the cross, being sanctified. It is an ongoing work. We are being sanctified. You see, Christ's great purpose for saving a bunch of worthless sinners was not so that they could go on sinning. He saved them so that they might be sanctified, that they might be holy, and do works of righteousness. It is for this that Jesus gave his blood. It is the peaceful fruit. This will yield the fruit of righteousness. Right after saying that we may share in his holiness, it says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to be trained by the discipline of the Lord and by sanctification to be holy. And then righteousness will be the fruit of sanctification. Doing righteousness. Deeds of righteousness. We are counted righteousness, righteous by our faith. And we also do works of righteousness by faith. More about that later. It is for this, though, that Jesus gave his blood. You can see just a couple, just the next page, depending on your Bible. It looks, look at Hebrews 13, verse 12. This is why Jesus died. Jesus, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. 
Jesus shed his blood with this in mind, our sanctification. This is the beauty of Christ's love for his beloved bride, the church. This is what he does for his bride. Ephesians 5 puts it this way. He's talking to husbands, and he uses the example of Christ sanctifying his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is what the Lord wants for us, is to present us holy to himself in splendor and beauty. Let him complete it in us, church. Amen. This was one of Jesus' chief desires that led him to suffer the cross, your sanctification, the holiness of his bride. Not simply so he could save you, but so that he could make you holy, as he himself is holy, to make you like him, like Christ. That's what it means to be Christ-like, to be holy. This is all over the New Testament. It's not just in Hebrews. You see it in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. He didn't die for your sins so you could live sinfully. He did it so you could live righteously. This is righteousness in its fullest sense, not solely our position before God by faith, not just that, but our very experience, our very activity. He does more than simply count us righteous. He makes us righteous. He enables us to do what is right. So if righteousness is what God is seeking to produce in us, then we must present ourselves to this new way of living. We must actively present ourselves to this new way. And Romans 6.19 says this, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, And to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So sanctification is the work God begins in us by the cross. Now, he does not merely begin the work either. Unlike most of us, he actually finishes what he starts. Praise the Lord. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. I can't see my notes. All right. You see, God is faithful to his work. He is faithful to his people. He is nothing short of faithful. He will finish it. Every work God begins in someone will be completed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, according to Paul in Romans eleven twenty nine. So we have this great assurance that every work God begins, he sees through to completion. Praise the Lord. And this is evidently true when it comes to the work of sanctification. He will not stop it. He will continue it. This is why in our passage, Jesus is not simply called the author of our faith, 
or the founder. He's called more than that. What is he called? He's called the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. So far, we've been discussing God's work of sanctification thus. But this all begs a question, doesn't it? What if we don't continue in faith? What if we stop believing? Will he sanctify us if we lose faith? This is kind of the second part of my message, and I want to answer that question with this short answer. No, but also sort of. (laughs) So it's a little complicated, right? So first, let me explain that no answer first. No, if you do not continue in faith, you will not be sanctified, and ultimately, you will not be saved. You see, just as God's work of salvation requires faith, so also God's work of sanctification requires faith. I'll put it another way. This work of sanctification, without which, as we have learned, none of us will see God According to Hebrews 12:14, this work of sanctification requires faith. You see, every work of righteousness in the Christian life requires faith. In other words, it requires utter dependence on God. This is what the Christian life is. It's not like you believe and then you become independent and you just work sanctification. No, you are utterly dependent on him. Utterly dependent. You know this is true, especially when you see the depths of your own sinfulness and the heights of God's glory and righteousness. It's so obviously true. We are utterly dependent on him. God can only count us as righteous, not because of our good works, but because of the good work he has done in us and is doing in us. And so, what does it require then, if it's him? Faith. Faith. But what if I told you that the requirement of faith, it never goes away? That you have to keep believing till the grave, until face to face we see him and faith is completed. What if I told you that to daily receive God's gracious work, he must awaken in you fresh, fresh faith every day? We need to keep believing. In order to receive from him today a fresh work of holiness in you, you must believe. Today you must practice faith. He must awaken in your heart fresh faith to receive his work. If you came here today relying on yesterday's faith, it won't do you any good. Neither will last week's or last year's. Neither will the moment of your conversion. You see, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's how they live. It's true that there are new mercies every morning, but you must access them by faith. And a person who thinks they can rely on yesterday's faith will find that they never had faith to begin with. Because true faith endures. True faith persists. It keeps going. God has made it this way so that we are utterly dependent upon him for every good thing and so that all glory goes to God. Look at Abraham. His faith had to persist. It had to endure through every test and trial. May the Lord do it in us too. But let me show you this more fully from the scriptures. First, compare this idea with salvation. As we've been saying, it requires faith, salvation and sanctification. It all requires faith. You see, the formula for receiving grace, it didn't change after you were saved. The formula for receiving grace did not change after you were saved. It has always been by grace in Christ, by faith alone. 
In other words, just like salvation, God alone achieves this work. And none of God's works will be performed in us apart from faith. This is exactly the argument of Paul in Galatians 3, 2 through 6. He asks this, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you know the answer? What is it? By hearing with faith. Well, that's how I received him. I hope you did too, or else it was false. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it, his faith, was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see it, church? Faith is required for salvation and it is required for sanctification. Every good work of God requires faith. Second, it is testified everywhere in the scriptures that a faith that endures is a condition for salvation. A faith that endures is a condition for salvation. I only have time to share a few passages with you. If you can't be convinced by this, I don't know how you will be. It's all over the New Testament, but I was recently fully convinced by this recently. So it's okay if you're not convinced, but soak in the word. Receive it with hearing and believe. Colossians 1, 21 through 23 says this, And you, who were once alienated and hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. There is a condition, if indeed you continue in the faith, we must not swerve from the faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There is a condition, if you hold fast to the word of God. Anything, the word of the gospel, anything else is what Paul calls a vain and empty faith. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 says it this way, four conditions. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Though we may be faithless to him, he remains faithful to himself, for he cannot deny himself. That is one thing God is absolutely faithful to himself. But also notice the condition of endurance. If we endure. Jesus himself speaks of this, this condition of endurance, over and over again in the gospel. Mark 13, 13, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you endure the world's hatred, you will be saved. That's pretty relevant for us right now. I don't know where you are at, but the world does not love the gospel. It hates Christ. So we have to endure the hatred of the world. Luke 21, 17 through 19. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus also says in Matthew 24, 12 through 13, speaking of these days, the last days, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be what? Saved. If you're still not convinced, this is all over the New Testament. Paul says it in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And Jesus promises in Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. I hope you're believing this, church. It's all over the scripture. Wake up if you're sleeping, okay? It's all over. Listen and believe. Enduring faith is necessary for ultimate salvation. Anything less is a fraudulent and vain faith. So ask yourself, have I been continuing steadfast in faith? Have the promises of God continually been my hope? Have I been looking to Christ as my anchor? To the cross, to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ? Do I meditate on the glorious promises of God and upon his word? Well, why would you? Because these things are the objects of your faith. This is what you are believing. How can you continue in faith if you are not looking to Christ? So we must remind ourselves of what it is we believe. We must encourage our faith, and we must encourage the faith of the brethren. We must encourage the faith of everyone here. We must remind ourselves of the gospel and the word of God continually and strengthen our faith if we hope to endure. Now, I want to give the other answer to the question I asked way earlier, if you remember it. What if we don't continue in faith? Will he sanctify us? One answer is, well, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> okay, let me explain. You see, faith can be shaken, but faith cannot fail entirely. A true faith, it can be shaken, but will not fail entirely. Peter and Judas show us this. Both were followers of Christ. Both were leaders of the Christian church. Both were called apostles. Both betrayed Christ. One surrendered him to a trial. The other denied him three times. But after the dust settled, one endured in faith and the other didn't. One was preserved, the other committed suicide. One was elected, the other was a son of perdition. So what made the difference between them? Well, everything we've been talking about, that's what made the difference. The work was begun in Peter. The work had been begun in Peter. The work that God starts will not stop. The work had begun in Peter, and his faith continued it did continue. This is not so for Judas. So let me explain this. 
Before his arrest, Jesus warned Simon Peter in Luke chapter 22, 31-32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, as you'd separate chaff from grain, so he wished to separate him from his faith. But... I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, not if, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Feed the sheep. Three things you see from this passage. First, Satan, that deceitful scumbag, he works to destroy those who confess Christ. That is his work. He does this by working to compromise their faith by any means possible. What's more, God allows it. God lets Satan do this work of temptation in the life of believers. He allows it in order to test our faith, in order to, by that suffering, produce sanctification and righteousness. He allows it so that what is earthly in us will be shaken out, so that what is heavenly will last unshaken. True faith will stand the test, but an earthly and fraudulent faith like Judas's will be shown false. Second, we see in this passage, we have the ultimate prayer warrior, Jesus Christ, praying for us. Praise the Lord. He prays for all true believers that they will be preserved through temptation. And guess what? His prayers are totally effective. Jesus never prays a prayer outside the will of God. His prayers are totally effective, and they will be answered in yes. We have an intercessor. No one, no one prayer of Christ fails, just as none of his works fail. You see this in Peter. Although he denied Christ in a moment of deep fear, ultimately his faith did not fail. His faith was preserved. Judas, on the other hand, he did not have the benefit of Christ's intercession. He did not have the benefit of the work having been begun in him. He did not have the benefit of a true faith that lasts because he was never Christ's. He never had a true faith. He had a vain and fraudulent faith. We know this because Jesus says this in his high priestly prayer for his disciples in John 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, Judas, therefore, he was lost because he was not of those who are guarded by Jesus. He was not of those who are kept by Christ, for not even one of them is lost. Not even one of the, of the chief shepherd's sheep will be lost to the lion that prowls. The great difference maker then is whether the Lord Jesus guards you, is whether he keeps you, is whether your faith is true. He who the Lord keeps will be preserved. Jude 24 says this of Jesus. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
He is able. I've clung to that verse so many times when my sin has accused me, when it felt like I was falling away. I have clung to this promise. He is able. I am not able, but he is. I believe he is able. So cling to this. The third thing that we see in Jesus' prayer for Peter, Jesus points to a time when Peter would turn away from fear and doubt. He would turn away back toward faith. We know that after he denied Christ three times, he cried the tears of godly grief that leads to repentance. He had a godly sorrow. He returned, and his faith was preserved, and his faith, furthermore, was refined. It was made more precious by what he had endured, and he turned back to strengthen others in the same work. Judas, on the other hand, he found no room for repentance. Though he sought it with tears, the scriptures bear him witness that he certainly had a form of sorrow, didn't he? He had a worldly grief. He had some kind of regrets. When he considered what he had done, surrendering this man, this innocent man, to this false trial, he gave back the blood money that he'd been given. This money that he'd been given to betray Jesus. But was it a grief that led to repentance? Was his grief a godly grief that leads to repentance? No, it was a worldly and false grief. His grief was worldly. His faithlessness, it led to despair. And what did he do? He gave up. He gave up and he committed suicide. In conclusion, I want you to consider now, church, having heard this word now, what is it that the Lord is calling you to do right now? What is he speaking to you right now? Clearly, he is calling us to a faith that endures, a faith like Christ's. Remember verse 3 of our text. It says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Take for your example of endurance, Jesus Christ. Look at how he endured. That is your example of endurance. The author then relates this endurance to God's work of sanctification in us. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That is how much the Lord wants us to resist sin, even to the point of shedding our own blood, even to the point of suffering the way that Christ did. Let the Lord do this in us. You see, the devil, as we have already established, he seeks to compromise our faith, and he has no greater instrument than sin. Doubt and fear are his sin are his are, are sins that he seeks to lead us to surely but unholiness is ultimately what compromises faith and what exposes fraudulent faith so you must not be like esau you must not be like esau in this passage at the very end of what we have read it shows us that we must not be like him esau he is the example given of someone who gives up faith in the rich blessings of God in exchange for an unholy desire. For Esau, 
What was it? It was a single meal. It was a steaming pile of stew. He had been hunting. He was starving. And he had to fill his belly. He felt like he'd die if he didn't. I'm going to die if I don't eat this. In that moment, he did not at all believe that the covenant of God was worth having. The rewards of God weren't even worth having in the face of this potential death. They're not even worth having. What's the point of having them if I'm going to die? That's a dead faith. You have to have a faith like Abraham. Abraham, what did he do when he was faced with a similar test? When he was told, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to Mount Moriah and offer him in sacrifice. What kind of faith did he have? Well, what's the point of your promises, God? What's the point of your promises, of the rewards that you promised me and my son Isaac, if you're simply going to kill him? What's the point of it if he's just going to die? No, I'm not going to sacrifice him. No, that's not the faith that he had. He got up the next morning and he went. And what does the scripture say in Hebrews 11, just a chapter earlier of him? It says that he believed that God could even raise him from the dead. Even in the face of utter loss and death, we must continue to believe that his rewards are worth it. They are so much better than the sin that we are tempted to. They are so much better than the life that we live, even than our very life. So much better are the rewards of God. True faith considers the reward of God a far greater value than the temptation. So do not be like Esau. Do not exchange the covenant of Christ for sexual immorality, for lusts, for cravings. What is it you crave that would lead you to hell? It must become distasteful to you. It must become hateful and detestable to you. Hate what is evil. Love what is good. Utterly detest what is evil is what Romans 12 says. So don't be like Esau. Do not exchange this covenant of Christ for these things. Do not surrender your faith so easily, trading your life away for a fleeting pleasure for a single meal. It's fleeting. It's one meal. It's not even worth it. It is because of this that the author gives us a solemn warning in Hebrews 10, 35-38. I'm going to close with this. Listen to this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, And the coming one will come and will not delay. He will come. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let us seek the Lord in these things. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your spirit today. 
Thank you for giving us your word, your clear declarations, your clear promises, your clear warnings. Let your spirit fall upon us, Lord, even now as we turn to other things in worship, turn to new things in the service. Lord, would your spirit just fulfill this work? Would you grant us complete understanding and complete faith, a faith that endures, a faith that sanctifies? Let us be sanctified, Lord. Make us holy. Make this people holy. Separate us from sin. Cut it out. Circumcise our hearts, God, of this flesh. Set us apart, God. There are people here who are struggling with sin. There are people in this church who are struggling with temptation to give up their faith, to give up the thing that God has given them in Christ, all these rich blessings. Lord, preserve their faith. Give them true, lasting faith. Fall upon a spirit. Fulfill what you have done. Complete this work that you have started in your church. Complete the work that you started in New King Church. Lord, this is why we come to church. This is why we gather in community groups. This is why we listen to your word. It's to preserve our faith, Lord. And so we come to you today in faith believing. So preserve us, God. Preserve us. Make us holy. Discipline us, Lord. And let us see abundant harvest of righteousness to your great glory. Let your church be sanctified. We want to see us presented before you in splendor, blameless and holy, with great joy. Do this work. Complete this work, Lord. We lift up these things to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.